All right, we are in this series designed to help you become the best version of yourself. And today we're going to be talking about your story, your life story, from that time you were born up until today. I don't know, is anyone in here following the story of the Indiana Pacers? Anybody following the Pacers? Oh, it's been a blast. If you don't watch basketball, if you're not into basketball, I'll explain the story of the Pacers so far. We are in the NBA playoffs. It's a seven-game series, so whoever wins four games advances to the next round. And right now we are playing against a formidable foe known as the Cleveland Cavaliers, or better known as LeBron James. <laughs> so it's been an awesome series because in game five, it was at Cleveland, and we were behind and the Pacers just fought and fought, and we tied it with about 30 seconds left. And one of our guards had the ball, and he drove in, and he went up, and it looked like he was going to score the game-winning dunk or layup. And then LeBron James flies in like a literal superhero with a cape, and just literally just jumps up his elbows about where the rim is, and he just pins the basketball to the backboard, and all our hopes disappeared in that moment. So it was tied, there was three seconds left, and the Cavs have the ball, they inbound it. LeBron James is about halfway between the three-point line and half court. He catches the ball, two and a half seconds left, two seconds left, he just jumps up like he's doing a little free throw jump shot from almost half court, swish, the Cavs win by three. Devastating, okay? But Friday night was game six, and it was a beautiful thing. It was here in Indianapolis. And we showed our stuff, and we won game six. So today is the day, game seven, and we will find out in the story of the Pacers and in the story of LeBron James what will happen. We're hoping for, praying for, a change <laughs> in LeBron James' trajectory. We wish the best for him. We love all people, but we would like to see him lose today <laughs> so, that, so that the Pacers can advance. But... Hey, speaking of life stories, I don't know if you saw this week the viral story of a golf player in Michigan, a high school student. He was out playing golf, and poor guy, having grown up in Michigan, I have real sympathy for this guy because, I mean, the snow just melted. He's just finally out on the golf course, and he gets attacked by an angry bird. And you have permission to laugh because no animals were harmed in the making of these pictures, though I think uh, his, this guy's ego might have been harmed because this Canadian goose goes crazy on him, and it gets better. Uh, the goose attacks. <laughs> the goose attacks. <laughs> That's my favorite one. I just love that one. So, you know, this poor guy, his golf coach and his teammates loved him so much that they decided to put these on the Internet. <laughs> Not only that, but then when NBC and ABC contacted the school to say to the golf coach, can we, you know, run this as a national story, the golf coach was like, oh, yeah, sure. And so, you know, this guy's story changed. I can just imagine in the future when he's at a, like, icebreaker event for a new job and people are like, you know, tell us something unique about yourself. He'll say, hey, you might remember back in 2018 there was a, a high school golfer who got attacked by a goose. That was me. So, <laughs> so his story changed in that day. I think if you look back on your life, you could identify some moments where your story completely changed for the better or the worse in a moment. I remember a moment like that in my senior year of high school, my English teacher handed me my research paper and my grade was a D minus and she gave it to me. She said, John, here's your grade. It's a D minus and I really think you should go be a professional writer. 
And she was actually serious, and I went and I studied journalism for my undergrad, and that conversation changed my life story. We have these moments when we look back where our story changed for the better, and if we're honest, we also have these moments where our story changed for the worse. And I want to talk with you today about how to rewrite what's broken in your story. How do you take those moments in your story when your life took a turn for the worse, and how do you somehow bring anything good from those moments across this room we all bring with us into here life stories that are full of brokenness sometimes very dramatic brokenness like a car accident or a cancer diagnosis or an abuse that that just changed your life for the worse other areas of our brokenness are more subtle more under the surface i'll share one of those from my life with you and this is not the deepest area of brokenness in my life but this is one that I think you might relate to because it's one of these themes it it didn't look that dramatic in the moment but it happened at a very formative time in my life when I was in middle school and it shaped my identity and it left a void and a gap in my identity that needed to be filled I remember when I was in middle school, I don't know why, my parents, they're not bad people. For some reason, they were just really distracted. And I would look around at my peers whose parents were showing up at their sports games or kind of trying to get the kids to talk to them. And my parents just seemed to be completely absent. And as a middle schooler, I wouldn't have used that term and I didn't know what to make of it. And I didn't really know how it was affecting my identity. But I remember one day in particular, two or three of my closest friends their parents had gotten them road racing bicycles for their birthdays. And these were my buddies I played soccer with, and they started riding these bikes to train. So I wanted to get one of these bikes. Well, my family had a $20 limit on any um, birthday or Christmas gift. That was just kind of the budget they had. And so I knew I wasn't going to get one of these road racing bicycles that way. So I started mowing lawns and leaf blowing and working really hard, saved up some money. And then looked in the newspaper classifieds. I was born before Craigslist, okay? So I am that old. And uh, look in the newspaper classifieds. I find a road racing bicycle, buy a used one, and I start to train. And this race comes up that is uh, in the city, and these people are going to come in from all around for this race. And I decide I'm going to train for this race. I'm going to uh, pay the money to enter this race, and I'm going to do this bicycle race. So. I show up for the race and all these other guys my age, they've got like the proper gear. They've got shoes that clip into the pedals. I cannot afford those. They've got like really sleek helmets. I've got a helmet from the Salvation Army, you know, the, the uh, Goodwill type store. And uh, I ride my bike to the race. And I had told my parents, you know, um, that I was training that I really, really hoped they'd be there to cheer me on. And I remember being at the starting line with all these other racers and looking and seeing, okay, my parents still aren't here, but it's a long race. I'm sure by the time I cross that finish line, my parents will be there. And of course, I didn't know at that age, what I was really asking is, uh, am I loved? Am I valuable? Am I supported? These questions that we're all asking as we go through life. And so the race starts and I get in first place and I stay in first place for the whole race. Now, if you know much about bicycle racing, which I did not, you don't actually want to be in first place the whole race because of the aerodynamics. You want to be in second place, and then you want to cut out and pass the person in first place right at the finish line. So the guy behind me who had some training, yeah, that's exactly what he did. 
So we get to the end. It's an uphill sprint to the finish. The guy who's right behind me cuts out behind me. He passes me. He gets first. I get second. I'm exhausted, but I still feel kind of like, hey, there's about 50 kids here. Most of them showed up with like trailers and teams, and I'm just kind of this ragtag thing. I feel okay about second place, and I'm sure my parents are going to be proud of me. And I start just kind of scanning the crowd, and as the crowd starts to move in and everyone's family or support group comes around them, I'm standing there with my bicycle. All the other guys are clipping out. I didn't have to clip out because my shoes didn't clip in in the first place. And I'm standing there, and everyone else has a group of people come around them, and I, I keep standing there, I just keep looking. I'm sure, I knew they, you know, they were late, but they, they have to be here by now. And just that moment of realizing, you know, they're still not here, uh, and I guess I'm riding my bike back home. One of those moments in my life, not the worst thing I've been through by any means, and nothing compared to the worst things you've been through, but one of those themes, if you dig down deep, that is a theme of brokenness in the story of my life, of, you know, where do I belong? Am I valued? Am I supported? And we all have these themes, and what we're asking today is, how do you rewrite? How do you rewrite those broken themes in your life? How do you, those voids in your identity and in your self-worth, how do you fill those in with something that is healthy? And here's the good news that God has for you today. He brought you here to share this with you today, and it's this simple truth. Jesus has the power to change your story. I don't know what's broken in your story. I don't know those subtle themes uh, like the kind I shared or the far, far more heartbreaking themes like abuse and other things that many of us have been through at different levels. I don't know what's broken in your life, but here's what I do know from my life, and we're going to see it in the Word of God today. As impossible as it might seem to you, as unbelievable as it may seem to you, Jesus, who is Almighty God, he actually has the power today to rewrite what is broken in your life story, to bring good from the worst things that have happened in your life story. In this series, we've been journeying in John chapter 4 with this woman at the well, and she's a woman who had brokenness in her past. She'd been abandoned, she'd probably been abused, she'd been rejected. Multiple times, we know of four or five times the story tells us where she was married and she trusted, this will finally be the man who will not leave me. This will finally be the person who will provide for me. This will finally be the person who will love me as I am. And time after time, she would give her all into a relationship like that and that person would abandon her over and over again. And the day she meets Jesus, her life story changes. She meets someone who knows everything about her and loves her as she is. And she meets someone who doesn't just have compassion on her, but is actually able to fill in the gaps and the voids in her identity and in her self-worth. Let's pick up here in this story. You might remember in John chapter 4, Jesus explains to her what you're thirsting for only God can give you. And Jesus makes the bold claim, I'm God, I'm the Messiah, and I'm here to fix what's broken in you. I'm here to fix what's broken in all of humanity. And she believes. 
She believes and she runs back to her Samaritan village and she tells all of them. And so she's this woman, they all know she has a shameful past. She has a broken past. A lot of them, they've heard rumors about her, but they still don't even know everything she's done. And she shows up and she tells them this to these Samaritans. He told me everything I ever did. So verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from her village or town, they believed in Jesus because of her story or her testimony. And this is a quote from her. He told me everything I did. So here's this village. They all know her. They know how broken her story is. They know the rumors that there's things we don't even know that this woman's done. And she shows up and says, hey, that religious Messiah you're all looking for, God among us, I just met him. He told me everything I ever did. And because of who she was, when she said this, it got their attention. And so they literally start to think, if he had this effect on her, he might actually be the Messiah. And if she says he told me everything I ever did, we got to go meet this guy. So they all go out to meet Jesus. And in verse 40, it says, when the Samaritans came to him, this village comes out, they urged him to stay with them. And I just love these three words, and he stayed. I love those words because some of you are here today and you've heard about Jesus' power. Just like these Samaritans in the village, you've seen Jesus' power in someone else's life. You're suspicious, you're curious. And what I love about this is it tells us when you urge Jesus and you say, Jesus, I don't understand all this, but if you're real, if you're really God, if you're still changing lives today... I want to know you. If you reach out to him like that, he responds to you. He stayed. They said, we want to know more about you. So he adjusts his schedule and he stays. Verse 41, because of Jesus' words, many more became believers. That word believer is key. Because you see, this woman at the well, her life did not change simply because she met Jesus. There's lots of people in this true story of Jesus' life who met him and their lives didn't change. There's lots of people in our time who hear about Jesus like you are right now and their lives don't change. The difference always comes down to this one word, believe. It was when she believed for herself, Jesus, you actually are Messiah. You actually are the Savior of the world. You actually do have the power to rewrite what's broken in my life. When she believed, that's when her story changed. And the same for this village. This village would never be the same. Verse 42, they say to the woman after Jesus leaves, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And now we know that this man, Jesus, really is the Savior, capital S, God among us of the world. He's the God who can save humanity, but he's the God who can save you. He's the God who can forgive our mistakes, who can give us eternal life. He's also the God who can rewrite the pains and the brokenness in our story. Jesus has the power to change your story. Jesus today has the same power that he had with the woman at the well. It's why I'm standing here today, because of how he's rewritten my story. I'm somewhat sane and stable in my life, in my outlook, in my marriage, in my identity because of this. Not because I'm all put together, but because Jesus has put me back together and he desires to do that for you. 
Well, let's just look at a summary of this woman's story and see how it compares with ours. First, she had a past of mistakes, sins, and hurts that she was ashamed of. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of us can relate to that? We all have a past, if we're honest, of mistakes, things that have been done to us and also things that we've done to ourselves and others that we're ashamed of. We all have those things in our lives. We carry them around this messy mix of baggage that we carry with us. But the next part of her story is so important. Jesus knew her darkest secrets and he loved her as she was. Jesus knew her darkest secrets and he loved her as she was. Remember, she goes back to her village and she says, He told me everything I ever did. The things that I thought nobody knew about, that I was ashamed of, he knew them. But what's remarkable about it is he loves her as he knows them. I think if we're honest, all of us deeply long, we have a universal human longing to be fully known our warts, our mistakes, our flaws, and fully loved. And as we go through life, we find some people who love us if we give them a facade of what they want. And we find some other people who know us, but very rarely do we find someone who knows all our, our darkness, our underbelly, our shame, and they love us as we are. And this is what Jesus does for this woman, and it's what he longs to do for you today. But that's not all. Jesus then shows his power to forgive her, to restore her, and to change her story. Sometimes in life, because of the wounds we carry around and the shame, we find someone else who has the same wounds and shame. And they do accept us, but they don't have the power to help us change. So if you're an alcoholic, sometimes you find another person who also likes to drink a little too much and you go to a bar together and you find someone who accepts you, but they don't have the power to help you. They don't have the power to rewrite your story. They can stay with you on that same trajectory where your past wounds defined your future, but they can't actually change your story. And what's incredible about Jesus as God among us in this true story of this woman at the well is he sees her as she is and he loves her as she is and then he offers the power to change her so she can become something she could never be without an encounter with almighty God. So let's consider three implications of this for your life and here's the first one you need to know today. God knows all you've done. God knows who you really are and God loves you as you are do you know that God loves you just the way you are some of you you woke up today and little did you know when you were getting out of bed and brushing your teeth and eating your breakfast that almighty God from eternity past had it planned out that you would be sitting right here because he knows that your heart needs to hear these words that your maker knows all you've done and he knows who you are and he really, really loves you as you are. There's nothing you can do that would make him love you any less. There's no mistake you can make that would make him love you less. And there's no good thing you could do to make him love you more. He loves you at that maximum level of love as is because that's his nature. And he made you. And no mistake you make will change that about his love 
for you. God made you, he knows you, and he loves you as you are. The message of Jesus is not clean yourself up and then come to me. It's come to me and I will fix what's broken in you. Come to me and I'll do the cleaning. And he does it in a gentle way. Jesus next is reaching out for you. And he's patiently waiting for you. And he's eager to change your story. Again, the reason this woman's life changed, and let's just zoom out for a minute. That day at that well, her life did change. This isn't a metaphor. Literally, her life story from that moment on took a turn. And the things in her past that used to define her and contain her instead just became the introduction of her story rather than the conclusion of her story. And apart from Jesus, those wounds in our past, whether we've done them or others have done them to us, apart from Jesus, those things define us. Apart from Jesus, those things determine where we will go and who we will become. And apart from Jesus, the worst parts of our story end up shaping the conclusion of our story. But it's when we believe in Jesus that he has the power to rewrite those things. And yes, they still happened, but they no longer define who you are. And they no longer declare where you're going or what you're worth. He changes it all the moment you believe in his power to rewrite your story. And right now, some of you are here. And maybe you've been considering Jesus for a while. Maybe you hadn't even thought of him until today. But he's reaching out to you. And just like that village when they said, stay with us. We, we think you're Messiah, but we don't fully understand. And it says he stayed He's patient, he's eager, he desires to help you. And just as dramatically as that woman at the well, her story changed in the same way he desires to rewrite your story for good. And that's the next implication for you. Jesus does have the power today to rewrite your story for good. If that sounds unbelievable to you, know that it also sounded unbelievable to this woman who'd been divorced and abandoned so many times. But I stand here as living proof, and you're in a room with hundreds of other people who we've experienced this. We're not perfect people. We're very broken people. But we've experienced that when we bring our brokenness to the Creator, He's able to rewrite the brokenness in our story for good. And so here's the question for you today. Have you had a moment in your story when you believed, when you believed in Jesus for yourself? Not because your parents believed, not because your spouse or girlfriend believes, not because when you were really little someone took you to Sunday school and you heard some stories, but you, with a fully developed will, you choose for yourself, I'm going to have a defining moment in my life where I believe, for me, I'm choosing to believe Jesus can change my story. Jesus can fix what's broken in my life. You're sitting in this room today because you've seen the power of Jesus in some other people's lives. And maybe you're still a little suspicious, you're curious, but just like those villagers, you've seen, man, if he did that for my father-in-law, if Jesus can do that for this person I work with, what if it's real? What if it's true? And the question for you today is, will you believe for yourself? 
Have you had that moment in your life? We're going to take some time to connect. I shared with you one of the themes of brokenness in my life. It's really one of the more subtle, smaller ones, but it did for years shape my identity, my self-worth. And in Christ, I found that he was able to fill in all those gaps and voids. I have a father who will never leave me. I have a provider who will give me my daily bread every day. I have someone who's proud of me, someone who's encouraging me. I've found all that in Christ. I want you to find all that and whatever else is broken in your story. So we're going to take a few minutes, and it's a time for you and God one-on-one for you to just think about what are the broken areas in my story And have I ever considered Jesus, not just as some teacher or even God, but as the one who can fix those specific wounds and hurts in my life? So if you're at the end of a row, you're going to see a basket, and you can pick it up right now. And in that basket are these handouts. It says, Your Story. And you can start passing that down your row. If you want a pen, there's pens in the basket as well. Just take one of these. And we're going to have a little bit of time for you to really reflect on your life and say, you know, what are the broken areas in my life? And some of you are here, and and today is the first time you're hearing about Jesus in this way. Others of you, you've been a believer for 30 years. Wherever you are in your journey, think back over these areas and consider how Jesus could rewrite your story. Let's take some time to do that now. Thank you. 
There's probably not a lot of guys that need the Lord any worse than a race car driver does. The car is like a beast. It wants to go one way, and you're trying to wheel it around a, a high bank turn. Come out a 3,500-pound stock car going around a racetrack at over 200 miles an hour. I mean, it gets tight. It gets intense. As long as everybody minds their manners, it all works. I mean, you can have 43 cars in a lot going around a racetrack inches apart. You're touching the other guy, and he's touching you. Somebody's bumping you in the back end, slamming into your door. And you say, whoa, whoa, don't do that. That's what happened to me in 1983. I was coming off the fourth turn of Daytona in a tight pack. And uh, I got nerfed. I got hit from behind. Car spun, went into the inside wall, wham! You always talk about timing when you're an athlete and being in the right place at the right time on the right team. And all those things came together for me in 1981. 81 and 82 in NASCAR, those two years back to back, I won 24 races uh, and two championships. I don't think anybody's had two years uh, with that kind of success um, ever. on the top of my game. We were unbeatable. Uh, we'd roll into town and we'd check in a hotel and they'd say, oh, are you here for the show? And I'd say, no, ma'am, I am the show. Athletes in general are selfish. It's part of the culture. People call it cocky, uh, arrogance, uh, all, those, all those adjectives that describe a, a, a successful athlete. But you have to be that way to stay on top. At least, at least in that moment, that's what you think. Richard Petty used to say about me, he said, that boy might win a lot of races and he may make a lot of money, but he'll never be NASCAR's most popular driver. And I, I, I totally agreed at the time. Fans hated me. They booed me. People wore shirts that said, anybody but Waltrip. They threw beer cans and chicken bones at me. I'd say, yeah, bring it on, you know, it's not bothering me, but it bothered me a lot because I didn't want people to feel that way about me and I felt like they didn't know me that well. It was that time in my life uh, when I met a, a minister, Dr. Cortez Cooper. He's questioning my faith. He's asking me, you know, or do you do you believe that Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior? And I said, I said, well, I just don't know if I'm ready for that or not. I'd always told my wife uh, that you can't. You can't get hurt in one of these things. People do something stupid. They're not as smart as I am. They're not as good a driver as I Coming am. Coming off turn four, and I got nerfed, spun backwards, went into the inside wall, bam, and it knocked me out. You always talk about timing when you're an athlete. Dr. Cooper, the accident, uh, the success I'd had in the prior two years, uh, things just started kind of snowballing in my mind. I said, you know, I've had all this success. I've done all these things. I'm, I'm on the top of my game, but you know what? I, I, I could have I been, been dead. 
I raced at Richmond. I had no recollection of being there. I raced at Rockingham the next week. Had no recollection of being there. I said, honey, where have I been for the last couple of weeks? It wasn't until the third week after the wreck at Daytona uh, that I finally woke up. When I finally came to and I realized what had happened to me, it scared the hell out of me. I started searching for the Lord. On a July night, hot, no air conditioning, sweating, crying in the hallway, on my knees, Dr. Cooper, Stevie, and I, and uh, he prayed that, uh, that the Lord would come into my life, and, and he did. And uh, 1983 was an incredible year. Wasn't so great on the racetrack, but personally, uh, in my relationships with my wife and with everybody else, uh, my life took a huge turn. And that's something I learned. If you don't own success, you wouldn't have success if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. He owns success. The difference in him and you is he wants to share it. You want to keep it. You want to keep it for yourself. It's all about me, what I can do, what I've done. With Jesus, it's all about what he has done. You can do all things through him, not with him, not when you get finished, maybe recognize him. You can do all things through him. You know what my reward was? It wasn't another championship. It was, finally, that people said, we like DW. He's a great guy, he's had a great career and I was voted most popular driver in 1989 and 1990. In my mind and in my life, uh, it, was a, it was almost like a, a reward for all those things that I'd left behind and where I was headed. When you learn to put him first in everything you do and give him the glory and uh, the praise, your life's gonna be a whole lot better off. I'm Darrell Waltrip and I am second. Jesus truly does have the power to change your story, as impossible as your story might seem. What I love about what we've learned today is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus had the power to change the story for a woman who had been abandoned and rejected, likely abused. And today, in our lifetime, Jesus has the power to change the story of a world-famous athlete who's worth millions of dollars, a NASCAR driver, with an ego and success and all that goes with it, but underneath is just as broken as that woman at the well. And God brought you here today because he knows the brokenness in your life. And he loves you as you are. And he longs to rewrite your story for good. The question for you today is, have you had a definitive moment in your life when you've taken him up on his offer? Have you had a definitive moment in your life when you've believed? For that woman at the well, for the rest of her life and for the 2,000 years since, her life story changed on that day that Jesus of Nazareth was traveling through her village and she happened to be at the well at the same time as him. And for the rest of her life, she could look back and she could say, that's the moment.
That's my moment. My story changed on that day. Daryl Waltrip in our lifetimes. He can look back. And just like me and just like you, he can say, I'm not perfect. I'm a whole bag of a whole lot of stuff. But he can look back and he can say, on a July night in 1983, it was hot and humid and there was no air conditioning. And that was the time that I believed in Jesus. That was the time that my life story, with all my effort, with all my success, I couldn't fix what was broken in it. But that's the night, July 1983, that I met Jesus and he changed my story. What God desires for you today is that you would in this moment claim the power of Jesus and believe in his resurrection from the dead, his power to forgive your sins, his power to restore your identity as a child of God, his power to adopt you into the family of God, that today would be your defining moment. And the choice is now in your hand. Because you could leave here in a few minutes and decide, I'm not going to respond to that. That was a kind of powerful experience, but I'm just going to think on it some more. And you go on with your life, and nothing changes, and your story doesn't change. Or you say, I'm going to do what Daryl Waltrip did. I'm going to do what that woman at the well did. I'm going to believe. The Word of God says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, you believe he's God, and if you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, in other words, you believe he died on the cross for your sins, Scripture says in Romans 10, 9 through 11, you will be saved. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The question for you today is if you'll believe. And what baptism is, which we're about to celebrate, it's an opportunity for you to claim that belief and say, this isn't just something I'm feeling, but I'm stepping out with my feet to say, I need Jesus' power to change my story. Last night in this room, we had 25 people walk over to that door by that exit sign and say, I want to believe in Jesus' power to change my story. And there were so many beautiful stories in it. I got to put my arm around a middle-aged woman who was just crying and as we just prayed together and she just said, Jesus, I know I've made mistakes. I need your forgiveness. I need you to rewrite my life. And her story changed last night. I met a, a guy who was brought here a year ago by his mom because he was an addict. And right before she checked him into an addiction recovery center, she said, I'm not from Indianapolis, but we should find a church and go there. And she brought him here. And then she dropped him off at the addiction center. And then she passed away in this last year. At the addiction center, he became a follower of Christ. He has believed in Christ. And they said, hey, for everyone who's believed, there's a chance to be baptized. The bus showed up. He gets on the bus. The bus pulls up last night. He gets off. And where is he? The exact same church that his mom had brought him to a year ago before she passed away. You see, it wasn't an accident that that woman was at the well. It wasn't an accident for Daryl Waltrip that that pastor was in his life. And it's not an accident that you're sitting right where you're sitting right now. It's not an accident that your heart is moving like it's moving right now. Jesus is calling out to you. He's saying, believe, receive. So in just a moment, I'll be standing down there by that exit sign and we'll start to do our baptisms. And you should know when this happens, we'll all be standing if you choose to be baptized, you're in a room full of people. We will literally be cheering for you. 
You're not going to get a microphone. We're not going to make you say anything. This is your moment for you and God. And I like to explain in this moment, because sometimes I meet people and they say, well, God's really at work in my life, but my parents had me baptized when I was a baby. That's a beautiful start. What Jesus describes in his word, what his followers always did, was what we call a believer's baptism, because it's the idea that you, as a, as a person with a mature will, when you claim Jesus for yourself, you step forward and get baptized as an adult. And we want to give you that opportunity to declare Jesus in that way. So in just a minute, I'm going to pray for us. In fact, why don't we all stand as we pray? And if God's at work in your life, no matter where you are in your journey, you can meet me over there. I'm going to be right over by that exit sign. And there will be a bunch of people there. You're not going to be the only one. In fact, as we're standing, if you guys want to kind of shuffle forward, so that as I'm praying for everyone in the room where God's working in your heart, you can just make your way out of your row, make your way over to that exit sign while everyone's eyes are closed, while we're praying. I'm going to pray that for us now. Father, you have given us in Jesus everything we need to change the brokenness in our stories. God, you know more than I could express to the people in this room that I am standing here today, I am alive and I am coherent because you've changed my story. You've taken the deepest, darkest broken things in my past as well as the little ones. You've taken all those broken things and you've told me who I am. What's, who am I? I'm a child of God. You've told me what my purpose is to love others and share your good news with them. Every day, Lord, when I wonder what am I worth, you tell me, and I thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray across this room, there are men and there are women in here, they need your power to change their story. And I ask right now, Lord, would you give them, give them the strength to step out, even now, even as I'm praying, you can make your way down that row over to that exit sign. I'll meet you over there. Whether you're scheduled to be baptized or just today, you say, I just want to, I'm in. You can make your way over there now. By the way, we've got everything you need as far as clothes, towels, hair dryers, undergarments, everything you'd need to get baptized. We've got a whole team to take care of you. Everything's been thought of. We've done this hundreds of times. We'll take good care of you. But God, I pray right now for the person who's struggling. They know they need your power. They know they've heard from you but they're not quite sure if they're going to step out. Lord, will you just encourage them? That woman at the well, her life changed because she believed. Daryl Waltrip, his life changed because he believed. My life has changed, not because of my great attributes, but because I believed. And so, Lord, right now in this room, praying against the forces of the enemy and any other force that would keep someone from believing, will you give men and women in this room the strength to say I believe and will you help them to step out today seal their belief in believers baptism and say I believe in Jesus to change my story we pray it all in your name Jesus amen well hey as the worship team starts playing you're going to start to see people be baptized and you can make your way over at any time I'll be over parked at that exit sign for a while even as you start to see people get baptized, if you think, okay, now I see what it is, it's not so scary, you can make your way over there. I just can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to hug you or shake your hand. 
pray with you if you want that. And uh, let's celebrate together as God, you know what it says in scripture, you're buried to death and you're raised through the power of the cross, through what Jesus did on the cross, you're raised to new life. The old has gone, the new has come. And so when, when, the reason we celebrate when someone's baptized is all those old sins, all that old shame, all those old mistakes, all those old things that used to define that person gets left in that water. And through the power of Jesus on the cross, they're raised to new life and a supernatural thing happens. The chains of sin are broken. Your soul, your identity moves from being lost and homeless spiritually to being a child of God, a God who will never abandon you, a God who will never walk out on you, a God who will always provide for you and be there for you. So let's sing together, let's worship this God, and let's celebrate every soul who changes their story by believing in Jesus today.